Welcome to Once and Future Authors, Changing Lives One Book at a Time. I'm Stephanie Larkin, an author, independent publisher, and book coach. And each week we will be discussing processes and strategies to get your book finished and published and meet authors and publishing experts to tap into their experiences and expertise. There is one book out there that can change your life, and that is the book you write. So welcome aboard. This podcast is produced by Red Penguin Books, an independent publishing company working with authors of all genres. Whether you have a manuscript all ready to go, a book still stuck in your head, or perhaps even hundreds of handwritten sheets of loose leaf shoved in a drawer, visit redpenguinbooks.com and unleash your inner author. Welcome to the show. I'm Stephanie, and you'll definitely want to read this author. He's a favorite author of mine, of course. He's also my husband, Kieran Larkin. He's the author of Women Prophets of the Old Testament. Kind of convenient that my husband is an author as well. Thanks for joining us, Kieran. Well, thank you for having me. And thank you for writing Women Prophets of the Old Testament. I am just loving that title. Well, I think probably there should be a lot more written about the Women Prophets of the Old Testament. So I guess maybe I'm just filling a gap that I think is there. A trendsetter, shall we say. Well, maybe, maybe. <laughs> you know, I would be lying if I said I was the first person ever to broach this subject, because as I wrote this book, I, I certainly did discover other books of a similar type that had been All written by others. All two of them, right? Well, <laughs> the, granted, there haven't been that many, but you know, in this day and age, when you're doing research, uh, it's not just going to the library or ordering books. Now online you can find lots of different monographs and articles. Um, there's so much available out there, even videos. Uh, you, you have a wider, I guess, spectrum of, of, of research opportunities that you can explore. Well, thank goodness for that. Yeah. Um, you were with us before for Messengers of God, a survey of Old Testament prophets. Um, I'm guessing these are all men, and that's why we... Uh... <laughs> Good guess. Good guess. <laughs> How did this come about? Tell us. Well, you know, it's, it's, it's actually a good story, I think, that probably taught me a valuable lesson. Um, I teach high school. I teach in a Catholic school. I teach in an all-girls school, and I teach religion in that school. And um, I'm very, very pleased that over the years I've been teaching there, um, I've been able to teach a number of different courses, and I've even had the opportunity to introduce courses. So a few years ago, I had um, introduced a new course about prophets of the Old Testament. And I started researching a book. Now, admittedly, um, I never knew if I had it in me to write a book. And now I had kind of an incentive to try. Because here was an opportunity to see if I could write a book, to do a lot of research, to introduce a new course. So it seemed like a win-win situation. And when I wrote the book, um, my principal was gracious enough to allow me to use it as a textbook for the course. Before the course began, uh, I was also teaching a prior grade. And I had said to the girls, next year, if you choose to take this elective course in your senior year, uh, a course devoted to the Old Testament prophets, this brand new book that I just wrote will be the textbook. And I passed the book around, and I gave the girls a chance to thumb through it. And of course, 
you know, they're, they're, they're a lot of fun. If we buy it now, can you give us extra credit? No, it doesn't work that way. If we buy the book, will you autograph it? Yeah, I don't really know if you want my autograph, but thank you. Yeah. Um, but as they were passing it around, one of the girls raised her hand and said, Mr. Larkin, can I ask you a question? So I said, sure, what is it? She said, are there any women in this book? And I looked at her and I said, that's a very good question. I said, there aren't. And I almost felt guilty when I said that. I said, you know something? There are very few women who are listed in the Old Testament as prophets. I said, and even the women who are listed as prophets uh, don't really have a great deal written about them. But it got the wheels turning. And I said to myself, I'm teaching an all-girls school. I can understand the girl's interest in this event. I like to think of myself as being something of a feminist. Well, you know, this would be a great topic to explore for a second book. I didn't know that I, could, that I had the wherewithal to write a first book, and here I am now starting to plot out a second one. Um, I don't think anyone was more surprised than I was. And that's what happened. The second book really came as a result of that question. Wow. And so now um, I will be using the second book for the first time um, as a complementary book to the first book in a course I will be teaching so and the girls only, go back and forth. Not only is there a second book, but your actual um, course material has now expanded so that when you teach prophets, mm -hmm. you mean all prophets. Yes, I had to remove other aspects of the course to add in the women. So I'll be learning as I go how to space out uh, the course material. But yeah, I mean, I, I'm hoping that I will be giving equal treatment to the men and women because the women deserve the equal treatment. And I think that they have been, I'll use the word, undertreated <laughs> or non-treated for far too long. Well, speaking of equal treatment, you started by saying that um, your answer to this student was that there weren't a lot of women in the, the Old Testament, nor was there a lot written about them. Yet, I'm looking at two books that look about the same size. Does that mean that you had a lot more research to do for this one? That's exactly what it means. <laughs> um, there is a preponderance of literature about the male prophets. Uh, I think that over the course of, of the years, and I think most people who teach religion or study religion would probably agree with this, that uh, ancient uh, Judea was uh, a very male-dominated society. Unfortunately, it, I think it's a, it's a true statement that so many past societies have been male-dominated and, and the women have not been treated as equals. So I guess it's no surprise that, you know, they were given priority attention. There's a great deal of literature written about them, not so much about the women. So if I were going to try to flesh out the stories of these women and their ministries, it really meant I would have to dig a lot deeper. And I enjoyed that because researching a book, but either one of these two books, means that in the process of doing research, I'm learning a lot of stuff I didn't know. So even if the book were never printed, even if it were never used in class, I'm still going to personally benefit from all the research that went into it and from what I've gained. But I'm much happier to think that maybe my students will also gain insights they didn't have, that it's not just me. Absolutely. Yeah. So uh, when you first started this research, it was not 
right there on a platter like the, the other book might have been. It was a, a little more digging. Well, yes. And, and to be honest, I went into the research for this book saying to myself, I would like the two books to be comparable in size. Now you that's, succeeded? You, you know, succeeded? that's not... I'm looking. Yes, that's not <laughs> necessary. It's not essential. But I wanted to show my students just visually in mm -hmm. the two books that I was not holding the women prophets as being lesser in importance uh, than the male prophets. So I did want to at least approximate equality as much as I possibly could. But since there's so much less written, that was going to be more of a problem. Um, I also felt as if there were certain things I needed to say in the second book that weren't necessary to say in the first book. And first thing I mentioned in the, in the new book was the word prophet uh, means different things to different people. And we need to explore exactly what a prophet is. There are some women who are called prophets by name. You know, this woman is a prophet in the Old Testament. There are other women who aren't called a prophet by name, but they perform functions that we obviously consider part of what a prophet says or does. And then compounding that, maybe that's the wrong expression to use, there are some women who are viewed as prophets um, among Christians. There are other women who are viewed as prophets within Judaism. And those two lists don't link up. Mm. And then there are some women who aren't really called prophets in either tradition, but they do and they say some stuff that is connected with prophecy. So I needed to devote a whole chapter to that. You know, this book is about women that Christianity views as prophets. It's about women that Judaism views as prophets. Some of them, of course, are viewed as prophets by both, obviously. And it also introduces some women who aren't really called prophets, but maybe they are. I call them, I guess using a sports term, prophets on the bubble. On the bubble. On the bubble. Okay. Um, so that chapter appears early in the book. The other chapter that I thought was important to write uh, before discussing the women prophets was the way that women were treated throughout Old mm. Testament times. And I certainly don't want to say or imply anything that is derogatory, um, but I think it's a fair thing to say that throughout the Old Testament, the way that women were treated um, and the way that they were spoken about were two very different things. Mm -hmm. um, nowhere in the Old Testament does it state explicitly women are secondary, women have no rights, women are lesser than men, nothing as blatantly sexist as that. Um, but yet, in so many of the traditions, women were not treated as equals. You know, um, when a marriage took place, mm -hmm. it was the father who made the arrangement, almost kind of, to sell his daughter to a man. 
and 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 she goes from being under her father's domination, subservient to her father's will, to now having that same relationship with her husband. Mm-hmm. Nothing really equal there. Yeah. You know, if a woman gave birth to a daughter, as opposed to giving birth to a son, she was considered to be ritually impure for twice as long as if she'd given birth to a boy. And things like this um, clearly showed an inequality without saying point blank, women are lesser, women are are unequal. Same thing when it comes time to inheriting property. So I, I mentioned, I think, four or five different circumstances in the Old Testament that suggest unequal treatment. And I, I think it was necessary to include that just to give the readers a more complete understanding of what it was like in those days. So if God is calling a woman to be a prophet, and I have no doubt but that God did do that, um, he was calling on someone to deliver his message who may not have been accorded as much respect or honor as she really deserved comparable to the men. So, and I I, I hope that comes out in the book because I think it's important. Tell us a little bit about the word prophet. You were talking about how some people say they're a prophet, but they might not be, and some people didn't say it, but they were. Mm. Is a prophet a fortune teller, a futuristic seer? What is the definition well, that, of a prophet? Well, that's, that's a good question. Um, <laughs> and probably if you had 10 different religion teachers sitting here, you'd probably get 10 different answers to that question. Um, one of the big problems that I think we have in society is the connection between the word prophet and the word prophecy. Yeah. When we hear, the, and obviously they're related words, <laughs> when we hear the word prophecy, we think that this necessarily means making predictions about the future. A prophet is a prognosticator. And the fact of the matter is, yeah, in some cases, some of the prophets did make predictions about the future. And the whole point in making predictions about the future was to teach the people at that time what was going to be coming up into the future so they could prepare for it. But that was not what prophecy was all about. The word prophet, um, and the word prophet itself is a Greek word. Um, In the Old Testament, the Hebrew word is nabi. Um, As we transliterate from Hebrew into into English, sometimes it's spelled N-A-B-I or N-E-V-I. Certainly the Hebrew alphabet and and, uh, uh, sound system is different from English. But the fact of the matter is, the Hebrew word for prophet really does not imply uh, predictions. It means mouthpiece or spokesperson. You know, a prophet is someone who serves as a spokesperson for God. And they can deliver God's messages in a variety of ways. And I think that was what was important to get across in that chapter on what constitutes a prophet. Some prophets delivered God's message um, through words, others through actions. Some prophets actually um, danced, they sang, they legislated. Um, We we tend to think that a a prophet in delivering a message is just saying something verbally, orally, and there's a lot more to it than that. So when you start reading up on, on the women in the Old Testament, Uh, 
you're not just looking to see, are they saying something that we believe was given to them by God to say, but are they delivering God's message to the people in other ways? And that also had to be made clear in the book. Uh, you know, Miriam, uh, who was Moses' sister, was considered every bit as much a prophet as Moses was. Um, but she sang, she danced. That was her way of, of uh, delivering God's message. The next person might not use that technique. So even seeing something like that uh, was an enlightening experience for me. Now, like I said, I learn as I go every bit as much as the readers might learn. If, you know, hopefully if they do learn, they buy the book. <laughs> so it's a, it's a very fulfilling experience. What was the most shocking experience? Was there anything in your research that you were just floored to learn? Um, yes, I suppose. Um, and I have to tip my hat to another author uh, whose book I examined that really kind of blew me away. Um, there is an author whose name is Preston Kavanaugh. He wrote a book called Hulda. And I never heard of Hulda. Exactly. Um, <laughs> Hulda is one of the women who is considered to be a prophet in the Old Testament. There are exactly two lines written about Hulda in the Old Testament. Two lines. From two different books of the Old Testament. One in each? Um, pretty much so, yes. Um, the line simply mentions her name, the name of her husband, where she lives, um, what she did for a living, and what she had to say about a document that was presented to her. And, and you know, the story certainly is much more of a detailed story, and I don't know if we would have the time to go into it, <laughs> but what I found very interesting was that Preston Kavanaugh had written an entire book on Hulda. Now, in my research, I looked up Hulda. Um, I saw how little was written, and I said, wait a minute. This man wrote an entire book on Hulda based on like two lines? <laughs> how could he do that? So I bought the book, and I was fascinated by what I read. Um, Preston Kavanaugh is, was uh, a corporate executive, but I believe he had uh, a, a deep and abiding interest in religious matters, and I believe that he also had a very good working knowledge of Hebrew, which I can't say about myself. Mm -hmm. And what he had done, and I, maybe others have done this, I don't know if anybody else has done it, he had created a computer program to do a linguistic analysis oh. of the Old Testament. And he uncovered in his research that there are large chunks of the Old Testament that are actually written in one type of code or another. And the prevalence of this code was staggering. And he had, he had mentioned in, in, at several times in his book, you know, this could not possibly be accidental. This coding certainly is indicating in no uncertain terms that this woman, Hulda, about whom virtually nothing is written, probably has written major chunks of the Old Testament. Uh, her personal writings could appear in 15, 20 different Old Testament books. 
She's all over the place and no one knows it. Mm. And he also discovered that this woman who we thought was just the, the wife of someone who was the king's wardrobe coordinator eventually went on to become queen herself, I guess in a subsequent marriage. But there's no indication of that either. And as I'm reading this stuff, and admittedly not really knowing a whole lot about codes, there probably was some stuff in the book that really was confusing me. But I was just dazzled at the introduction of computer technology into a study of the Old Testament and what it was able to unearth. And as I'm reading this, I'm saying, wow, if we do more and more of this, whether it's Preston Kavanaugh or somebody else, we might unlock a lot more secrets that have heretofore been undiscovered. So I found that to be incredibly interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And and, and I'm sure most people hearing, wow, a computer analyzing text. Mm. But I know that we, we can have computers analyzing music at this point. And if there's a piece of music that we don't know who wrote it, a computer can determine that based on previous styles, a database of all sorts mm-hmm. of things. So it's certainly not far-fetched that a computer can do that for yeah. text as well. That's yeah. fascinating. Yes, I thought so. I thought so. And I'm just wondering if other people who have read Kavanaugh's book might similarly think, gee, let's see if we can't employ computer technology to other dimensions of the Old Testament and learn even more stuff. You know, it's funny. I think that uh, we, we discover every year, I think, that some reference to something in the Old Testament was dead-on accurate, you know? And um, I think we're just going to keep unlocking some of its secrets over the course of time. So it's going to be an interesting thing to, to watch unfold. So what was your favorite thing about writing? Was it uncovering things? Was it the, the joy of finishing? Um, <laughs> well, Is it sitting here on the air with me? What's the best part? Dor- Dorothy Parker, uh, the, the, the writer, who was part of the um, Algonquin Roundtable discussions um, with some of the other literary figures of her day, uh, had once written, um, I hate writing, but I love having written. And I think that she found that being able to look back on the finished product gave her a sense of accomplishment. And I I certainly understand that. I found that in writing either of these books, it was was a long process, but I, I think I liked the challenge, sentence by sentence, chapter by chapter, of picking and choosing exactly what words to use to get a point across. And um, so I think I probably enjoyed the process of writing. I probably enjoyed even more closing the book and saying, I'm done now, now we can get it published. <laughs> but I think the process was something that I did find rewarding. And I didn't know going in if I was gonna feel that way. It was a whole new experience for me. Yeah, well, mm-hmm. you know, they say 90% of the population wants to write mm-hmm. a book. What would you tell them as like maybe a tip if they wanted to do this? You know. I think I would say to them, at the outset, it seems overwhelming. Um, When I first sat down to write either of these two books, I said, all right, what do I want to convey in this book? What do I want to talk about? Um, Let me prepare some sort of an outline to give me a sense of direction, a roadmap. And, And I would say, 
if it's something that is of interest to you, don't shy away from it. You know, give it a shot. Sit down, ask yourself, what is it that I want to say? If it's possible to write some sort of an outline or a roadmap, do it. And then just start. I find that sometimes starting is the most difficult. Once you get over that hump, it's like a speed bump on the road. You know, once you get over that little bump, all of a sudden you'd be surprised to find out how clear the sailing can really be. So I don't think anybody should shy away from it. Um, I found it very rewarding to do it. Well, you started this one because you were teaching a course and you needed a textbook. <laughs> That's, right. That's right. And you wrote this one because a student rightly put you in your place that you missed something in this one. <laughs> yeah, I suppose so. I mean, I don't think it was her intention to put me in my place. Um, my words, absolutely. Yes, yeah. But I do think that her question certainly, you know, addressed something that I felt needed to be addressed. And I'm, I'm delighted that she asked that question. You know, so Ella Doyle, if you are out there somewhere <laughs> watching this, thank you for asking the question. Thank you for asking you know, because you we are, got a new uh, book out of it. That's right. Which leads me to my next question. What's next? Is there another book? Hmm. Are there people asking you questions that need to be answered? Or what do you think has not been um, covered? Well, I never thought I would have two books under my belt. I never <laughs> thought I would have one book under my belt. Now, is there a third book out there? There might be. Hmm. You know, um, uh, you know, Never Say Never Again. I think that was the name of a James Bond movie. <laughs> never Say Never Again. I think that there are other things and other people um, in scripture, uh, in just in general area of religious studies that are fascinating and that I might like to explore. I've already started thinking about the possibility of writing a book on Mary Magdalene. Mm. Um, I think that Mary is someone who has also, yes. exactly, I think that she has in so many ways been misrepresented, and I think that there is much, much more to her than what the Bible has to say about her. Certainly books uh, like Dan Brown's book, um, The Da Vinci Code, um, talk about Mary Magdalene in a way that um, suggests there perhaps was a lot more to her uh, and to her relationship with Jesus um, than, than we see in Scripture, and I think that that kind of stuff might be worth exploring. You know, it's, it's interesting that some people look at Mary Magdalene and they believe that she was some type of a prostitute. Um, interesting that she's a canonized saint. <laughs> um, I, I think that there is much to Mary that is underdeveloped, much to Mary that is misunderstood, much to Mary that is misrepresented. And I'm interested in exploring these possibilities and seeing what I discover for myself and what conclusions I may wind up drawing ultimately. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's something that's out there. It's in the back of my head. Okay. Whether okay. it reaches the front of my head is another story. Well, if any, if any students are watching now, they're thinking, ooh, if I have a favorite, maybe I'll ask a question mm -hmm. in class and I'll get a book out of it. Is yeah, that maybe. the way this goes? Well, you know, <laughs> it, it certainly happened once. Uh, again, never say never. never Could happen never. again. You know, um, you have to be open to all the possibilities, I think. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, I think that that's, that's an amazing feat because, as I said, so many people want to write and you, mm. you know, went down that, that dark rabbit hole and here you are, two down, and you're not averse 
to the idea of another? No, it's, it, it, it has been, I'll say, an adventure. And I know that you can take the word adventure in a lot of different directions, <laughs> but it has been an adventure. It, it has been, and I view it as an accomplishment. Uh, um, and it's not something that I wouldn't try again on principle. I think I would try it again if I found something that really was interesting me enough to explore further. Mary Magdalene, I think, falls into that category. Right. And I'm sure there might be others out there too, but that's for another day. That's for another day, yes. and that's for another time. I think right now you can rest on your laurels and be excited that this is done. I am. And let's get some people reading. So yeah. if you too know nothing about women prophets of the Old Testament, as evidently our author didn't either, you can grab Women Prophets of the Old Testament. You'll definitely learn something. Thank you, Kieran, for joining us, and thanks for watching. Have a great day. Thank you. Thanks so much for joining us for Once and Future Authors. If you've enjoyed the show, please subscribe to the podcast and leave a review. Reviews help other interested listeners to find the show, so your review could launch new books every day. Thanks again for joining us, and happy writing.